New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. And turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're just going to be looking at verses 22 and 23, verses that are probably familiar to most of you once we begin reading them. I'm just going to read those two verses. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs in front of you. And our text is on page 567 of those paperback Bibles. Again, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, just verses 22 and 23. So just a short reading this morning, and we're going to end up zeroing in just on one word in those verses. But if you're able, I invite you now to stand for the reading of God's Word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Matt Zimfer is a firefighter with the Engine 46 Ladder 27 Company out of New York City. And on January the 9th, 2022, his unit was called to an apartment building fire on East 181st Street in the Bronx. It was a fire that ended up claiming 18 lives. Nine of them were children. That number likely would have been higher if not for the actions of Zimfer, who upon arrival climbed a ladder to a third-story window and was immediately handed an infant. And he cradled that infant with one arm while the other arm steadied the rungs of the ladder and he guided several adults down to the ground before descending himself with that infant, handing the infant to its mother. He then went back up the ladder into the building in an attempt to rescue others who were still trapped. But it is his rescue of the infant that was captured by news photographers. It's a rather striking image. It captures not just this firefighter's physical strength, but the internal virtues of self-sacrifice, service, courage, and fortitude. And yet, alongside those virtues, we can also see the virtue of gentleness as he clutches this helpless and fragile infant gently and tenderly in his arms in order to protect and to rescue. Several years ago, you might know that I preached a series on cultivating Christian virtue. And we looked at that time at the virtues of courage, humility, and forgiveness. And then last year, I decided to add a fourth virtue to that series when we looked at perseverance. And then I actually want to add a fifth virtue this morning as we consider the virtue of gentleness. Gentleness. Jonathan Edwards, one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers that we have, described gentleness as the true and distinguishing disposition of the hearts of Christians. The true and distinguishing disposition of Christians. Is that how you think about gentleness? As a central and essential characteristic for you as a Christian. We've already seen that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. But perhaps it's one of the more overlooked fruit of the Spirit, especially as we consider how frequently the Bible calls us to gentleness. 
And that's probably the best place for us to begin this morning. Recognizing the unmistakable call to gentleness. So not only does Paul include gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, writing to believers in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he writes this. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what does that entail? With all humility and gentleness. If you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, it's a calling to gentleness. But it's not just Paul who emphasizes gentleness. We read this in Peter as well, as he's instructing believers about defending their faith. He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it this way. Do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. So that, there's a reason that he calls for gentleness. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. But it's not just Paul. It's not just Peter. James joins in as well when he writes in chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So Peter, Paul, and James all stress gentleness. Now in writing to Timothy, Paul stresses the importance of gentleness for Timothy as he carries out his ministry. As he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, But as for you, man of God, as for you, Timothy, pursue these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. He goes on to coach Timothy this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. He says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents, not his friends, not those who support him, but his opponents, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And here again, there's a reason attached to this. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, we should note here that Paul is instructing Timothy as a leader of the church. So we shouldn't be surprised then to find that Paul lists this quality of gentleness as one of the qualifications to hold office in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, that elders are to be not violent, but gentle. Leaders are to be not violent, but gentle. But it's important for us to remember that church leaders are to serve as examples to the flock. And that means they are to serve as examples to the whole flock in gentleness. And so we must recognize that the unmistakable call to gentleness is not just for leaders. It's for all Christians. We're all called to gentleness. And Paul makes this clear in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Remind them, Titus. Well, who's the them here? Well, the them goes back to chapter 2, where Paul is giving Titus instructions as to how to teach and what to teach the older men, the older women, the younger women, and the younger men. All those demographics. In other words, everyone. So these are the them that he's supposed to be reminding. Everyone. All believers. Remind them. What does he want Titus to remind them of? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient 
to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. What a word for us in today's climate to live out before the world, where so often we see very little of this, to embrace this calling that includes a calling to gentleness. We see in these scriptures, there is an unmistakable call to gentleness. But what exactly is gentleness? What does gentleness look like? And this is crucial because it's not just recognizing the unmistakable call to gentleness that's important for us as Christians, but also displaying the godly character of gentleness. So let's look at that next. Now, I know many people tend to associate gentleness with being soft, with being spineless, with being timid, with being passive, with being silent or weak or powerless. That's wrong. Gentleness isn't any of those things. In fact, gentleness presupposes a measure of strength. Gentleness is called forth when someone has strength that needs to be handled gently with gentleness. For example, we would rightly describe a father who is wrestling with his two-year-old toddler on the floor, who is being cautious not to hurt that toddler as being gentle. But we would not normally describe the toddler as gentle for not harming the dad. Now, why is that? Well, it's because the toddler, in general, lacks the strength to actually inflict pain upon the dad. But the dad does have strength to inflict pain upon the toddler, and that's precisely what calls for gentleness. So this is why some people have described gentleness as strength under control. Notice that. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength, but it's strength under control. And I think that that's right, but I don't think it says enough. Because the Christian virtue of gentleness is more than merely gentleness or strength under control. It's more than that. Gentleness is strength or power that's harnessed for the purpose of protecting, nurturing, and promoting the growth and well-being of others. There's an end or aim in mind with gentleness. It is strength under control, but it's strength that's harnessed for the purpose of protecting, nurturing, and promoting the growth and well-being of others. So in other words, gentleness is strength that is used to edify and build up rather than destroy and tear down. This is what leads David Mathis to claim this. He says, gentleness is not the absence of strength. Please hear that. Gentleness is not the absence of strength, but the addition of virtue or godly character to strength. This is important because when we hear all of the concerns that are sometimes voiced about people possessing power, and the danger of people who have power, we should recognize that the, the answer to the abuse of power or the misuse of power, and those things do happen. We need to acknowledge that that happens. But the answer to the abuse of power or the misuse of power is not forfeiting power. It is exercising that power in love and in a kind of gentleness that protects and nurtures and builds up. 
That's how we want to exercise power. So it all comes back to how do you use your strength? That is the question. Not whether you have it, but how are you going to use your strength? You can think of something like water. A gentle rain will promote growth and flourishing and life. And yet water at the same time in the form of of a tsunami can destroy everything in its path. Water can both destroy and give life, depending on how it's used. The same is true of fire. Fire can be used for life-giving warmth and to prepare life-giving and life-sustaining food when it's controlled. But fire, when it is unharnessed, can cause untold damage. And what's true about water and fire is also true about wind. A gentle wind can propel, can propel a sailboat, but wind in a tornado can demolish entire neighborhoods. And so strength can be used either to build up or to tear down. It all depends on how you're going to use it. And the call to us is to display the godly character of gentleness in our strength. But how do we do that? What does that display look like? Well, the first thing we have to do is be aware of the strength and power that we possess. We have to be aware of the strength and the power that we have. And that includes physical strength and power. And generally speaking, although this has amazingly become a controversial statement in some circles in our culture, generally speaking, adults have more physical strength than children, and men have more physical strength than women, generally speaking. And that requires gentleness. It requires the refraining of abusing that power to dominate and injure, and instead using it in love to nurture and serve and protect. That's what that strength calls for if we're going to exercise it with the godly virtue of gentleness. But of course, there's more than just physical power or physical strength. There's all kinds of power that people possess. You might have the power of position or rank. You may have power and authority over other people that you work with. In fact, you may have as much power over them that you can terminate their employment. That's a lot of power to have. And so recognize that and think about how you're going to use that. There's also intellectual power and the power that comes from being articulate and being able to use words well. There's power that comes with that. That's power that, there's power that comes from being superior in competence or skill in a certain area. That's the power of expertise. You might have economic power that people around you don't have. You might have cultural power that other people around you don't have, that minorities may not have. Recognize that economic and cultural power. And there's spiritual power that people have as well. We think about leaders in the church exercising a kind of spiritual power. But listen, you can use the strength or power that you have in any of these areas, whether you're a man or a woman. You can use that power to damage or tear others down physically, emotionally, or spiritually. You can use it that way, or you can use this power in gentleness to nurture and to protect and to promote well-being. It's a question of how you're going to use that. But one last thing, there's also emotional power. I mentioned tearing people down physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But emotional power is a real thing that all of us possess. Everyone in this sanctuary this morning possesses that because we know that we can hurt other people emotionally by being harsh, by being insensitive, by being hypercritical, 
by being impatient, by being angry, by being manipulative, by berating, by belittling, by ridiculing, by tearing other people down with our words and with our actions. We can all do that. But listen, those things are not of the Holy Spirit, whose fruit is gentleness. Those things don't come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of gentleness, and it's a kind of gentleness that recognizes the difference of attacking someone's argument and abolishing someone's argument and attacking someone's person and demolishing them personally. It's a kind of gentleness that doesn't respond to insults by lashing out with insults in return. Gentleness doesn't do that. Instead, gentleness is the manner or the disposition, to use Edwards' language that we looked at earlier, it's the manner in which we engage with the world around us as Christians. Gentleness is the manner or disposition by which we engage with the world or those around us, including our opponents. Listen again to what Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 25, correcting opponents with gentleness. Not our friends, not those who happen to agree with us most of the time, but our opponents. Correct them with gentleness. But notice again, it serves an aim. God may perhaps grant them repentance. And here's the truth that we all know. You are rarely persuasive when you are abrasive. You know that's true because you know that about other people toward you. They're not persuasive toward you when, you, when they are abrasive in their manner. It detracts from persuasion. And so be gentle. But this might raise some questions. Does displaying the godly character of gentleness mean that we never confront, we never rebuke, we never correct, or we never say hard things to others? No, it doesn't mean that. Notice that Paul instructs Timothy to correct his opponents. But he says to do it with gentleness. By all means, correct your opponents, but do it with gentleness. This is what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Go to that person caught in a transgression. Confront. Correct. But notice what he says. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Do it gently. So yes, confront. Yes, say hard things to others. But do it gently to restore and to promote growth. Does gentleness mean that we can never use force or inflict pain? No, it doesn't mean that. Because sometimes force is necessary in order to protect others. Especially to protect others from those who are trying to perpetrate violence. There has to be force exerted there. We think of military soldiers or public officials, that force is sometimes necessary in order to promote the well-being of people, of larger groups. And inflicting pain is sometimes necessary to promote growth. Good physicians know this. Therapists know this. And loving parents should also know this. Sometimes inflicting pain is necessary in order to promote growth. Surgeons do it all the time, but hopefully to promote growth. 
Good therapists will bring up emotionally painful things in order to promote growth. It's sometimes necessary. But in doing that, we're aided by adopting a very helpful principle of minimum necessary force. We should be guided by this principle of minimum necessary force. The least amount of force that's necessary in order to get the job done. We don't want a surgeon who opts for the most invasive procedure. We want a surgeon who opts for the least invasive procedure. Minimum necessary force to promote growth and well-being, to protect and to nurture. One that may not immediately come to mind, but I know it's directly applicable to some people here this morning. Does displaying gentleness mean that Christians shouldn't compete in, to win in sports that require rough physical play? This is an important question. At least it addresses some people in this room that, okay, if I'm called to gentleness as a Christian, does that mean that I can't play certain kinds of sports that aren't gentle? And the answer to that question is, no, it doesn't mean that. And here's why. Because when we play sports, there's a mutual agreement of everybody participating in that sport that strength is going to be utilized in order to dominate, overwhelm, and defeat and expose the weaker opponent. That's the fun of competition. Who's stronger and who's weaker? And everybody participating in that has agreed to those terms. Now, we shouldn't extrapolate that into every venue of society. That's not how everything operates. I'm going to use my power to subdue you and overwhelm you and defeat you. That's not true everywhere. But when you're playing sports, there's a mutual agreement that that is what will happen. And so when everybody agrees that those are the terms, then we can do that. But even then, I would point out, that even in the most physically rough sports, there are limits and restrictions placed on how physical you can get. In other words, there's restrictions about trying to inflict injury. No one's agreeing on those terms, that it's okay to try to injure people. And that's why in boxing, you can't hit other fighters below the belt. And you can be flagged in football for unnecessary roughness. Just think about that. Football is a really rough sport. But you get penalized for roughness that's unnecessary. That goes too far. There are fouls in basketball. And if you get too many fouls, you're out. You don't get to play anymore. And you can be removed from a basketball game by committing a flagrant foul. It's too much. And so can Christians participate in sports that are rough? Yes. But Christians should also be the first to abide by these restrictions. Finally, another question is, does gentleness require us to seek to be weak? Should we aim at the target of being weak? The answer is no. We've already talked about that gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength. It presupposes a measure of strength. You only need to be gentle when you have a strength that gives you the option to not be gentle. And so, there's much to commend seeking to grow in strength, physically, and emotionally, and spiritually, as you are able. I know there's limits to that, but there's something to, to commend trying to grow stronger in all of those areas. But use whatever strength that you obtain or acquire in a godly way. Namely, harness it for the purpose of protecting, nurturing, and promoting growth and well-being in others. Some of you might have heard it said that it's better to be a warrior in a garden 
than a gardener in a war. In other words, it's better to have the skills and tools to fight well when it's necessary and not need to employ them than it is to actually be in a situation where you need to use them and don't have them. I think that that's true. It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. But it's best to be a warrior who has learned to grow a flourishing garden because he or she has cultivated the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness. But how do we do that? How do we cultivate gentleness? Well, that's the last thing. Engaging in the faithful cultivation of gentleness. Well, gentleness is a fruit. So notice that Paul calls it a fruit. And so we should expect to have to sow it and to cultivate it in our lives. But even more important than that, Paul says it's a fruit of the Spirit, which means the biblical fruit of gentleness is not something that we can manufacture in our own strength. And so the most important thing that you can do to cultivate gentleness in your life is to pray for God to produce and increase gentleness in you by the Holy Spirit. Pray. They might think, well, that seems really simple. And how much does that actually do? Is that really the first and most essential step? Let me ask you just this question. This may sound simple to you, but when is the last time that you went before God and pleaded with Him to grow you in gentleness? When's the last time that you did that? Have you ever done that? And so let's start with asking God to produce this in us and see what He will do. Now, we also should see that there's an evident connection between gentleness and the other fruit that Paul mentions, a connection between gentleness and the other fruit. For example, gentleness is fueled by and propelled by love. You are gentle with what you love. You are gentle with the things that are precious to you and the things that you treasure. And gentleness is also maintained over the long haul by other kinds of fruit like patience and kindness and self-control. You need these things as well to be gentle consistently. And so as we pray for gentleness, we can pray for the other fruit of the Spirit as well. The second thing, If you're engaging in the faithful cultivation of gentleness, it requires you to honestly admit your own frailty, weakness, and vulnerability, and your own need for gentleness. See, here's the reality. Strength is a really relative thing. You are stronger than others in some ways, and you are weaker than others in other ways, all the time in various circumstances. And so what that means is every one of us all the time is in need of displaying gentleness and in need of receiving gentleness from others all of the time in varying ways. We're in need to, others need to have us display it because we have strength in these areas over them, but we also need to receive it because we're weaker than them in some capacity as well. And the more aware we are of our need for gentleness, the more we will be inclined to be gentle toward others. And the best way that we can be reminded of our weakness and our need for gentleness is to be aware of the infinite power of God over us. Be aware of God's infinite power over us, who not only can destroy us easily, He has every reason to destroy us in His power because of our sin and rebellion. And yet, 
Here's the good news. And yet, this one who is infinite in power comes to us in gentleness. Listen to these wonderful, comforting words of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the Lord comes with might. He's not coming in weakness. He comes in might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. But now listen. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What a glorious, beautiful picture of might that is harnessed for protecting and nurturing and promoting well-being. But the clearest portrait we get of God's gentleness toward us is in Jesus Christ. This Jesus who possessed the power to summon more than 12 legions of angels at his arrest in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. That's what he says. Do you not know that I have power to summon 12, more than 12 legions of angels? And for those of you interested in the math, that's 6,000 units per legion. That means he could have summoned more than 72,000 angels to protect him at his arrest and overthrow his enemies, those who wanted to crucify him. He could have summoned more than 72,000 angels just like that. That's the kind of power that he possessed. But he didn't. That's not how he treated those who were eager to crucify him. That's not what he did. And he didn't do it because he says earlier in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, come to me because I am gentle and lowly of heart. Do you hear that? Your God and your Savior is gentle. In John chapter 3, we read that Jesus did not come to condemn. He could have. But at his first coming, he did not come to condemn, but to save. The words of Isaiah are applied to Jesus immediately after Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 12, these words of Isaiah are applied to Jesus. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. It's a picture of gentleness. He is gentle. And in cultivating gentleness, you are becoming more like your Savior who says, I am gentle. And so cultivate that gentleness. You're becoming more like Jesus in becoming gentle. And if you want to cultivate gentleness, the last thing is to fix your eyes on Jesus, who is gentle with you, believer. Now, does that mean that Jesus is weak? No. It doesn't mean that. I mean, just think of Jesus' life. He consistently confronted the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. He did not overturn the money changers, but he overturned their tables. And he did confront demons head on, face to face, and he won. Jesus is not weak, but he's gentle. Does his gentleness mean that he's not coming in righteous judgment to overthrow the wicked and the unrighteous and the violent? No, it doesn't mean that. He is. He is coming in final judgment, in power, to overthrow the unrighteous and the violent. Does it mean that Jesus doesn't correct and he doesn't rebuke? Does it mean he doesn't confront us and bring us under conviction? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that Jesus won't cause pain in our lives? Does it mean that Jesus doesn't use suffering to promote our well-being? No, it doesn't mean that. He does. But what this does mean that Jesus is gentle 
is that he harnesses his infinite strength and power for the purpose of protecting and nurturing and promoting the growth and eternal well-being of all of those who respond to his invitation to come to him and who trust in him as Savior and King. Have you done that? Have you come to Jesus who is gentle and known his gentleness as Savior and given your life to him as Savior and King? Do that. Do that and know his gentleness. But also, if you're like me and you're among those who aren't always gentle or haven't always been gentle, like me, then know this. If you struggle with being gentle, that God is gentle with you even when you fail at being gentle. And Jesus atones for your failures to be gentle. Your past failures, your present failures, and your future failures. He atones for those failures by his blood. And he gives us hope of transformation. He gives us the hope that he can redeem those failures and the hope that we can grow in gentleness by the Spirit when we seek him. So I'll just close with this. The gentleness is a work of the Spirit in a heart that has been touched by the gentleness of God's grace in Christ Jesus. His gentleness transforms us into gentle people. And we need that gentleness because the truth is that deep down, in a very significant way, all of us in this room have been stamped with the label, fragile, handle with care. On a deep level, that's true of all of us because we live in a world where we're surrounded by powers that are greater than us. But the good news of the gospel is that God is gentle and he handles us with care as his children. And so as recipients of that gentleness, let us also be faithful dispensers of his gentleness to others. Let's pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we praise you this morning that you are gentle with us out of your grace and because of the work of Jesus. And we pray that your spirit would be active in our hearts and in our lives to cultivate the fruit of gentleness that we might grow increasingly into the image of our Savior who has been and is gentle with us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.